Hello and welcome to the 38th episode of the Staying Up Late podcast, everyone's favourite suspension of disbelief dialogue. I'm with Emmy Hucker, who you guys have met before, and very excited to have the leader of the Opportunity Party, uh, the Opportunities Party, Jeff Simmons. Hey Jeff, how are you doing? So, good, good, yeah, good to be here. How, what's it like being the leader of the Opportunities Party? Well, uh, it's, it's pretty much like uh, normal life, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> except, uh, you know, you, you never really can escape, you know, I mean, uh, you're, you're always, are always around you. Yeah, yeah, you're always, yeah, you're always shackled to the politics. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I don't feel like I have to put on a, a character to be a politician, so I'm quite comfortable with that. But I imagine, uh, you know, it does give you a certain amount of respect for the, for the, um, you know, the career politicians. Yeah. <clears throat> who are, you know, the likes of Winston, who is playing a role, you know, and so he has to really focus on staying in character. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, an awful lot. Um, and you know, people, you know, those. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of dead wood in Parliament. There's a lot of people who are doing very little. But those guys, you know, Jacinda, Simon Bridges, uh, Grant Robertson, those guys are are working twenty four seven. Yeah. And it, and it gives you real respect for for, for them. For yeah, sure. that makes a lot of sense. And you yeah. think that uh, what the preponderance of uh, MPs in Parliament are playing a sort of character, or is that more just at the top of a leadership hierarchy? Oh no, I think you have to. I mean, you know, you really see it with the with the National Party. They get trained into a character. Mm. You know, um, I mean, during the election last year, I mean, I could pretty much recite the National Party um, campaign speech word for word, yep. going around the country because I heard such similar things. Give or take, oh, insert local anecdote here, insert local fact about job creation here. But yep. basically, the same stump speech. These guys are trained, they're drilled, they go through, you know, the sausage machine to turn out um, a, a, a National Party candidate. Yeah, and absolutely. That is why they were, you know, so, po- and still are, so popular for so long because they stay on. They have message. that consistency. Yeah. Absolutely. No one steps out of line. It's in- incredible discipline. Um, and you can kind of see Labour trying to catch up there. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't have. Um, <clears throat> it's harder when you're trying to change things when rather than when you're just trying to be the status quo. Yeah. You have to be better. And unfortunately, the majority of the Labour caucus isn't, um, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just not up to it, you know. The, the Labour does not bat very far down the order, and, and that's, that's unfortunate. So I think, I think that's, that's where you get some of the problems that show up with, with, this, um, with this current government. And so you've got your two major parties in, uh, yep. in government, obviously, and where do you see uh, the Opportunities Party fitting into that? Mm. Well, we've seen in this term, excuse me, I'm scoffing water. I've just cycled up the hill to weights down, and so I'm slightly dehydrated, so uh, excuse that. And for some reason, my Beatles coaster is sinking to the cup. Um, it's pretty old and uh, <laughs> a lot of use. Great place, though, here, uh, Jack. Nice work. Um, so, yeah, you've got, so you, we've seen in this term what the, the power of Winston, right? Mm. Winston and the Greens got the same amount of votes, pretty much, in the last election. 
Winston has ten times the power of the Greens because he's in the middle. Yeah. Mm. The Greens are on the on the fringe. They have no bargaining power. They're just stuck to the side of Labour. Just Never like, going to go with National. Exactly. Mm. Just like like uh, just like Act were in the you know last time round. They don't really Act doesn't have any power. I mean charter schools. For, you know. <laughs> I mean the three terms supporting a government and they got charter schools. <laughs> chicken feed. Um, but that, that's, the, that's the trouble with being shackled to the side of these big parties. If you want real change, you have to be in the middle, prepared to bargain with Labour or National. We've seen the power of that with Winston. Yep. He got $3, million, $3 billion for the regions. Imagine if we could get $3 billion, not for Shane Jones's, Shane Jones's re-election slush fund, but for <laughs> the environment yep. or for housing for young people or something like that there's real bloody issues in this country <laughs> we, let's use that power use that power that MMP offers to the small parties that are in the middle and let's use it for the long term that's what the Opportunities Party is all about well what I had noticed in looking at uh, your policies online and I remember noticing this at the time of uh, the last election as well mm. is you do seem to really hone in on there's not that much uh, sort of like filler, right? Like you're not talking about areas of uh, policy that really don't matter that much. It's yeah. about like, look, let's talk about like uh, reforming taxation. Let's talk about yeah. the UBI. Let's talk yeah. about, well, obviously there's difference in it, differences in opinion of how important this is, but like marijuana reform and like yeah. how should we be thinking about like alcohol? Because obviously yeah. that's nearly as helpful, uh, nearly as harmful. More harmful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's legal. Yeah. Exactly. And Go on figure. TV as well. But they've and advertised on TV. Yeah. yeah. And, and glamorized. So you're trying to, you want to be obviously this is a term that comes with some uh, measure of like bad will, but you want you kinda of wanna be the kingmakers in Parliament, but the policies that you're putting forward, unlike Winston, are really the important stuff. Yeah, Winston focuses on the stuff where there's uh, you know, a lot of a lot of heat but not much light. You know, mm. the stuff that the stuff that the pain points for people that they think are a problem but aren't really a problem. We're trying to deal with the under the real underlying stuff that's driving all of the big long term outcomes we see, like stuffing the environment, like ridiculous house prices and rents, and um, you know the the fact that we are not prepared for all the stuff that's coming to going to hit our economy yeah. in the next. 10, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you guys see this because you're going into the labour force now. So you see the gig economy. You see, you know, robotisation and and AI and all that stuff that's coming. But people have been in their jobs for 30 or 40 years and just, just trying to play it out till retirement, you know, they don't see that stuff. So that's, you know, that's... So is there a big problem there? Are you are you saying that the Opportunities Party is only really a- appealing to people below thirty? Do you think? Do you have some support from? Older? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we we call above. We we have some pretty good support up to forty, forty five. You know, yeah. um, but above that, it becomes what we call the grandparents that care. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So the and they're and they're incredibly similar. And you've all met one. You might even have one, but. They're the kind of people who say, look, I've had my turn. I've had a pretty good life. I'm worried about what I'm leaving for my grandkids, yeah. you know, because they see the struggles that you guys are going through. I, su- I suppose that's Gareth's perspective. That's Gareth's perspective. And he did he did bring a lot of that support to the party. Mm. I'm not sure there's much more of that support out there than we already 
God, yeah. the you're probably not going to be convincing many like or like old people that live in Wadestown, like very affluent. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we want to tax your houses and we want to slash your super. <laughs> <laughs> vote for us! <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, I'll vote for that. Yeah. But, I mean, if they had, uh, if, if they really were concerned about the future, they would, because this stuff is going to hit eventually, right? 2045, I was looking at these numbers yesterday, 2045 is when healthcare and superannuation will make up half of government spending. Yeah. Half of government spending. Because it's like an aging population. Aging population, super grows, healthcare grows, and just swallows more and more. And we're seeing it now. I mean, the government did a pretty good job with the budget, but what were the two biggest costs that hardly anyone talked about? An extra billion a year for super, an extra billion a year for healthcare. You've got to do that before you can even worry about spending more on mental health or oranga tamariki or any of the other things that they wanted to do. Mm. And if we had a bad year, you've still got to spend a billion more on health and a billion more on super just to keep that machine going every year. And that's just going to keep going into the future. So what we saw in the global financial crisis when National was making cuts, superannuation and health was still growing. Everything else got cut. And so, and that's you know those those times will come again. You know yeah. this will just keep happening where everything else gets cut, and you know at some stage it's just gonna it's gonna squeeze everything else down to the point where we're gonna start crying out. We you know there's gonna be real problems, mm. and anyone who any baby boomer or old Gen Xer who really thinks they're gonna get through their retirement with their whole superannuation. And healthcare system as it currently is now, without a revolution from you guys, is crazy. You are crazy. Okay? Because you're going to end up sitting in your retirement home and these guys will be burning it down from outside. Okay? That's how bad it's going to get. Well, I mean, I think, it, I think it's quite interesting that probably uh, most uh, people who are at this point advocating superannuation are also the type of people who are... Uh, you know, steadfastly against other areas of social spending, right? Yeah, so yeah, it yeah, sort of does yeah, like uh, yeah. show that self-interest is really what yeah. drives a lot of policy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, explain to me, Jeff, how uh, universal basic income or your tax scheme yeah. is actually going to um, be a more manageable way of managing our financial future in this country. Okay, so the, the, the two really go together, right? Mm, okay. So the idea is that because of all the problems we've got coming... It's going to get harder and harder to tax income. But we need people. We obviously want to keep people in jobs as much as possible. Yeah. So we're going to have to drop income taxes if we, you know, as much as we, as much as we can. Um, and, and encourage people to, to, to work as much as they can. Things like a circular economy. I'll just take one example of why we need to do this, right? A circular economy requires people because you have to fix stuff, Right? The old economy, the linear, what they call the linear economy, where you mass produce stuff and chuck it away, that didn't require many people because you can have machines and robots creating stuff and then you just chuck it away at the end. To fix stuff, you actually do need people. So we need to keep people employed and we need to make people as cheap as possible to be able to compete with, you know, to make sure that a repaired bicycle can compete with a new bicycle, which yeah. it doesn't at the moment. Mm. I mean, it's insane. I... I pay far more to keep my 
thing repaired and on the road than I do. I could, I'd be way better off just chucking my bicycle away every three years and buying a new one. It's insane to me, right? That's a that's a stuffed economy with bad incentives. Need to ch- change that up, right? Okay. So what do we need to tax going forward? We need to tax pollution and waste. So that's tax people who want to chuck the bike away, yeah. right? And secondly, we need to tax assets, okay? Because yeah. that's what we're not taxing at the moment. At least we're not taxing... A lot, you know some assets particularly land is the one that that isn't getting taxed at the moment there's a bunch of ways you can do that our suggestion is one way you could do that but it basically says all assets have to pay at least as much tax as a bank deposit and that includes your house yeah right the good news is that would allow you the revenue from that would allow you to slash income taxes hugely by about a third okay so people are going to feel this absolutely absolutely that and 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 there'll be this massive incentive to work right yeah now long term what we'd like to see is is to move towards a, an unconditional basic income as you said which is so uh you know a, a lot of countries are moving towards having a tax-free threshold i think that's kind of the next the next step here so you know the next 20 or thirty thousand that you earn is tax-free i yep. think that is the next logical step and then after that, we'll get to we'll start talking about an unconditional basic income, which is like a tax-free threshold. But if you're earning nothing, you get two hundred bucks, three hundred bucks in every yep. week in in hand in your hand, no questions asked. Okay, so we get rid of the welfare system and all the bureaucrats pushing paper doing that, and we just give money to people because it's not hard to figure out who needs the money when everyone gets the money. When everyone gets the money, it's easy, and 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 actually that can hugely simplify your tax and your welfare system. All in one go. So this is, you know, at the last election we were proposing a, a UBI for 18 to 23 year olds. Yep. You know, uh, we'll have to look at the books to see what we can propose next time around. But the idea is you introduce this over time and you build up, you know. So how long would that take to implement? Well, I mean, we think what we're talking about really is a 15 to 20 year plan for reshaping our economy, right? So so that we can then be in the, in the position we need to be to have a clean and clever economy where people are rewarded for work and not for speculating on property, yeah. where people are rewarded for improving the environment, having businesses that improve the environment rather than stuff the environment, right? So those are the big, those are the big shifts that need to happen. And to do it in a way that doesn't, you know, cause huge upheaval. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the point yeah. is, this will eventually cause huge upheaval. If we do nothing, yeah. this will hit we us. We have to make changes at some point. Yeah, it'll yeah, hit yeah. us so badly that we're going to have to need to build from the ground up. Into exactly. It. Yeah. It'll be like 1984 all over again. You guys uh, don't remember that, but Roger Douglas came yeah. in. Not everyone likes what Roger Douglas did, but he, he did inherit a crisis, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and some, of what he, some of what he did, he had to do. Not all of it, but some of it he <laughs> yeah. had to do. That will come again if we do nothing. Right, it'll come again in terms of housing, in terms of employment, in terms of the environmental challenges that we're facing. Right, so the question is, do we adapt slowly, in a manageable way where we don't stuff people, or do we wait until twenty thirty five, twenty forty? Yeah, and it'll just be break. Right, yeah. it'll just be like it literally will be. I'm sorry, old people sitting in the home, but we can't afford to pay for you anymore. <laughs> so you know, that that's that's that. I had an you know? idea, but that's. That's unethical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Logan's around. No, uh, no, no. Definitely. Imagine beyond the age of sixty-five. 
So uh, an unconditional basic income uh, is, is, a, is a long-term plan for that. And there's ma many reasons for it. Improves efficiency. It rewards unpaid, unpaid work. There's a million people in this country who do unpaid labor and, and, and don't get rewarded for it. Mm. We've got to start rewarding those people. Um, and most importantly, it gets rid of the disincentive to work. If we're going to be we're going to be in a future where we're moving in and out of work all the time, you might have a you might be running a business, but you might also be doing the odd bit of contract work. That, you know, you, you'll be the gig economy is you'll probably have four or five sources of income at the same time, right? And sometimes there'll be nothing. And that's just scaring us, Jeff. Me all the time, nothing. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. But in, in those times when you have nothing, you don't want to be having a six-week stand down to get back on wins and go through all sorts of checks mm. to be able to get your your doll payment again, right? You just want it there. Unconditional basic income. It's always there, providing you with a level of security. But the good news is, you don't get penalized when you then move back into work the next week you know yeah. some people then move back into work next week it's complicated you have to work out how much you have to pay back otherwise you get fined and, and i don't understand anything about money so this is kind of freaking me it's out <laughs> Look, honestly honestly some people have worked out that people like particularly single mothers who are on the benefit can spend up to 30 hours a week just making sure they get all the money they're entitled to. That's a full-time job! That's a lot. And paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And children. Yeah, and their children. And, and and that's because a lot of people are like you. They, they don't know how to work the system. They, they, they don't know how to fill out the paperwork, so they need help. It takes time. And it's complicated. And we keep trying to solve these problems by adding another thing on top and another thing on top and make it more complicated. Got to, got to stop that. Anyway. That rant over. <laughs> it was all very interesting. Very nice. um, let me play a little bit of hardball now, Jen. Mm. I, I voted. Awesome. I voted for the opportunities party in the last election, and yeah. is it fair to say that I wasted my vote? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, I mean, you voted for what you believe in, presumably. I think that's a good thing. I mean, shouldn't we vote for what we believe in? And it does send, you know. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed this. We have changed the dialogue on certain issues. You know, people people are talking about how unfair the tax system is. People are talking about a lot of these long-term reforms that we need to make. And they weren't doing that as much before. So I think the, the 60,000 people that voted for us really sent quite a strong signal to the other political parties that there, there actually is a constituency there for that that sort of real change. Mm -hmm. um, our polling suggests that if everyone who wanted to vote for us had voted for us, we would have got over 5%. And <laughs> we would have been, we I mean, it's definitely now. a phenomenon that I noticed at the time talking to a lot of my friends who were like, oh yeah, I'd vote for top if it was going to mean they'd get in, but they're yeah. not going to get in, so I'm not wasting my vote. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. Um, so we are we're looking at that and we are... Um, you know we are strategizing around that where yeah. you know our, our plan is to is to relaunch you know get back in the polls uh hopefully you know regain the support we had at the last election and then start talking about a uh, an electorate seat with with one of the big parties yeah and uh, if if that can happen then i think uh, then i'm confident that we'll get over five percent because people will feel comfortable voting for us um, 
so you know it's a it's a it's a little bit of a i mean yeah our polling suggested that we would have got eight percent if everyone had voted for us had actually voted for us yeah yeah was there um do you does the party have a an official stance on whether how they feel about the five percent threshold yeah i mean the the well, the um, obviously you would benefit if it was lower. Yeah. Whether or not you think it should be lower, obviously, is a different question. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'd benefit. So, so uh, you know, you, uh, that's why we don't tend to talk about this too much because it, you don't want is, to come across it is in self-interest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you read the review of the MMP, the the MMP review that happened yeah. back in two thousand and twelve, um, what they said was lowering it to four percent is basically a no-brainer. Uh, and actually, there's a pretty good argument to lower it to three percent, and that wouldn't have. They believe that wouldn't have any adverse impacts. Yeah. Okay. So, the cons- to me the conservative position is it should be at least four percent. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, and within that review, they made a pretty good argument for it to be lowered to three percent, and I think that's probably about the right level. Um, because that would mean you still need you still need a groundswell uh, to get into parliament, but that's a lot more doable. You know, that's that's kind of eighty thousand votes, and mm. we had um, what we had sixty thousand last time. So, um, and you, you were know, relatively new then as well. Yeah, we'd only yeah. been going ten months, but yeah. if the threshold had been three percent, we definitely would have got there. I think maybe even four, we we would have got there because people just need to see that you can get close. Mm. I, I think there, there's a bit of an issue there in terms of uh, New Zealanders. I think your everyday New Zealander, and I, I can't for the life of me explain why this is the case, but they, they have a problem with MMP. Yeah. they. It's not based on anything. I talk to my family members about it all the time. They talk about bloody Winston, you know, <laughs> etc. Like, this is, this has made politics worse for us. Um, and lowering the threshold, which obviously I completely agree with, I probably actually agree with a one point eight percent threshold. But, um, <laughs> is there any, any rationale for that? For that, uh, I, ju- I I just think that like obviously it would slow down the um, the process of lawmaking in Parliament. But I actually think that like we should probably be as if we're going to commit to democracy, we should be as democratically representative as we possibly can. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's more of a principled point than maybe. Uh, a practical point. Yeah, my, my law professor's always complaining about how slow um, New Zealand Parliament legislates as it is, so I'm sure they wouldn't be particularly impressed really? with... Can yeah, apparent, apparently we get through, like, way less bills than uh, the UK. But yeah, I, I, but I think... The UK is a mess. The, the UK <laughs> is a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a mess. But do, do you think that, like, it's going to be pretty hard to convince... If it's a referendum on should we lower the threshold, if people understand what that means, which I think most people aren't interested enough to actually... Uh, no. no. I'm not a big fan of referendums at all. You're not a populist. <laughs> no, no. You're an authoritarian. No, no, no. I'm, I, I believe in citizens' assemblies. What's, What's that? that? Explain this to us. Okay, so so you... Okay, so mathematically, to have a representative sample of New Zealanders, you need at least 42 people in the room. Mm. What? Yeah. Wow, this is interesting. It is, it is. But you get at least 42 people in the room. You make sure that they are representative of New Zealand in terms of geography you know diversity all that sort of stuff how do they define diversity though well all... is it by thought or by <laughs> skin color or how do they do that in terms of demographics yeah okay. yeah right. um 
and I mean you could you could do it politically as well if you wanted to um, but that that should work out if you if you're getting yeah. if you're getting your representative sample, if you're sampling right, properly then the yeah, politics should fall into line it should yeah, it yeah. should um, and don't get me wrong 42 is the minimum you can do this bigger right mm. uh, and and that'll improve your you know improve your, your sampling uh, confidence as, intervals exactly as a result but <laughs> stats <laughs> once you got these people in the room you sit them down you give them an issue you put the experts in front of them and you and you leave them there for two, three, four days, a week, whatever it takes to yeah. come to an agreement. So it's like a it's like a jury for, exactly. for politics. Exactly. But people try to avoid jury duty. I'm sure they would try and avoid this too. Yeah. People, to. people don't like politics, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but this is this this is taking the politics out of it, you know. This mm-hmm. is you know, for for important issues, um, it's it's a lot more of a robust way to work things than a, than a referendum because a whole bunch of people are, are voting without without any real information yeah. or, or or thought behind them. Right? Well, I think this is the this is the primary cons- uh, criticism of democracy is that it doesn't respect enough expert opinions, right? So the citizens assembly is basically catered to solving that particular problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 forces people to get educated and then and then. Uh, you know they can use they can still use their values. That's really important uh, to to make a decision, um, but that they got to know that their decision is going to apply to everyone. So and, and and when you do that, people tend to think of the greater good. You know, there's a real science in setting these things up. Yeah. But they're incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Um, Where have they been used? Oh, they get used a lot in Scandinavia. Um, they got used in Canada to create a new constitution. Um, I think. Um, they have been used to discuss uh, health issues in New Zealand, like what oh. things, what things should get treated and stuff. You know, um, what 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 things should we cover within our health system? Okay, yeah. I think some of them have been used for that. So there, there has been some experience in New Zealand, um, but we should be using them a whole lot more. And so they wouldn't be mandatory, or they would be mandatory. Well, you mean um, like mandatory to attend them? Yeah, I, I'm not sort of like fully understanding like where they, how they would operate. Like, is it just a voluntary thing? Like, you can go to a citizens assembly and then. Oh no, I think because obviously if it's a vote, then everyone's voting. So yeah, is everyone being a part of the citizens assembly? Well, I think to do it right, you do need to, um, you know, you do need to treat it a bit like uh, jury duty and making sure that people are. Um, are looked after, you know, that they get some income as a result because otherwise poor people won't yeah. won't go to these things. Because mm-hmm. they have to work. They have to work exactly, exactly. So you, you you know you do have to think of you do have to think of those those sorts of things. Um, but uh, you know, should it be mandatory to do it? I mean, I I don't think you you have to force people to do these things. Uh, you know, unlike. Um, I mean, well, jury duty is interesting, right? Because it all depends on the case. So some people, mm-hmm. some cases have no problems getting getting lots yeah, of people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, others are a bit more mundane. Um, but you know, on these sorts of issues where it's been tried, I, I haven't heard of any problems in terms of setting them up. Um, oh, they, they've also been used around New Zealand to start to talk about climate change adaptation. Mm-hmm. So I think they did one out at Makara, mm-hmm. out in Wellington. I think they've done them up in in. Um, Hawks Bay because there's quite a lot of um, you know like Napiers 
Napier's Napier's really at risk okay. of yeah. of sea level rise. So yeah, yeah. yeah. You see that in the news all the time. Yeah, Home Moana and places like that are... It's a pretty turbulent beach as is the one that, like, goes on Napier. You're not supposed to swim in the Napier Beach, I know. No, no, no. Yeah, it's pretty dodgy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you just really briefly mentioned... Uh, just checking out the space. The, the fur, right? The day <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, that's... Um, my friends call that my no the viewers can't see it but my friends call that my sort of like 80s porn aesthetic but actually <laughs> my my mum my mum bought that for me so she'll probably be horrible she watches the podcast so i'm sure she'll be horrified she? at this she'll, she'll oh, make a comment on mom. <laughs> but you, you mentioned that uh Cana- canadians are you know creating a new constitution yeah. and i in the last election that was one of your policies yeah. i might be mistaken but i was i was reading up on your policies the last couple of days and I didn't explicitly see that. Is it still a policy of the top party? It's still a policy. Um, I've got to say, though, that a lot of people don't really... It, 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 it doesn't really excite people talking about... This is where you're wrong. I, <laughs> you, but yeah, but you're a special breed. You, well, no, but this special breed exists. Oh. I venture to guess, and I've gone around saying this for the last couple of years... One of your most reliable demographics in the country is law students, my age. And the main reason, like a lot of law students, they like your ideas for tax reform, climate change, etc. But a lot of them are like, look, they're talking about a new constitution. Let's go. So I know of at least, I know of 10 votes, 10 votes in my, in my friend group of say a hundred people. I know 10 votes you got. Yeah. Because of the constitution, so I, okay. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ignore that. Just go to all the law school events. Absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, and maybe you should be a candidate for us, and uh, oh, <laughs> and, yeah. and you can I'm go to all to the law school, school events. Next year. Don't know, don't yeah. know if politics yeah. is. Uh, you know, I like talking about these things, but the actual Jeff, this is actually something that's come up on the podcast before. When I was okay. in, when I was in first year, I was a young man. So oh, it's, it's yeah. very controversial. I worked for Chris Bishop, who I'm sure you know well. Chris Bishop, I mean, on panels he's with. kind of nice, actually. Yeah, no, he is I a mean, nice guy, yeah. This is the thing, you know, there's there's good people in, in every party, you know. All parties, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, Chris is, Chris is definitely. Oh, I wasn't nice. trying to goad you into talk, yeah, 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 talking yeah. smack about Chris Bishop, <laughs> no, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I was, I was a young Chris. nat, which. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I get, a lot of, I get a lot of shit for that um, from my contemporaries. <laughs> Victoria Law School is the last place on earth you want to be a young nat. You don't want to admit that at all. I think I would fit in because I was a young green during the election so i had no idea about the opportunities party but once i heard about them i thought oh interesting but you know my loyalties lie with the greens i can't can't stray from them well, that's what <laughs> politics is all about it's about having your predetermined position and then never wavering from it yeah yeah, yeah. i mean basically 70 percent of new zealanders don't don't mm. don't change their position um which makes them completely irrelevant, uh, you know, in terms of democracy, because <laughs> because no one's you don't bother talking to them, right? Might I mean, as well resubmit their vote from last time. Exactly, exactly. Just, just, so you're most powerful as a voter when your vote isn't a given. Yeah, you know, when you're yeah. examining the evidence, and that's the thing. Like people that I go to university with, young educated people, they read the policies. You know, mm, they compare mm. policies side by side, mm. and they vote for different parties every election. Mm, you know, mm. like. I voted for National in my first election, Top in my second election. My co-host, who's usually on the podcast, he voted for Labour in his first election, uh, the Māori Party in his second election. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, it's w- yeah. switching it up is really the best way to ensure that people like you yeah. actually speak to our interests. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, just voting is, is a good start, yeah. you know. 
know, make sure all your friends vote is, is, is what I always say whenever I'm in front of young people. But then again, you've got to sympathize with like Nationals position of like, of course, they're not going to appear. They're going to tell students, come on, vote more. It's not going to benefit them if they do it. Right. Like yeah, there's yeah, a reason yeah. Labour's around like campus being like, vote more because yeah. it's going to it's going to work out for them. Of course. Obviously, of course. they should take a principled position and tell everyone to vote anyway. But, yeah, you know, yeah. that's we, we all know how politics actually works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So a lot of these ideas that you have, Jeff, are very obviously like, like you say, they're revolutionary and the revolution's either going to come on our terms or it's going to come uh, in It'll catastrophe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my only problem is I can't really think of that many examples of like modern democracies really making U-turns, you know, like mm. doing things in their best interest mm. out of the blue. It's mm. a really good idea. Mm. It just doesn't seem to work out that way. Mm. So mm. how how can how can we make it work that way? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good a really good point. And how do you what? How do you afford it? Making radical changes. Oh, I mean, the affording answer is 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 not. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is that, um, you know, the the big parties, the 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 career politicians, because they're not, and and again, we saw this with the with the well being budget. I mean. If you want to do something truly transformational, then you have to question where some of the money goes at the moment, mm. and and they're just not prepared to do that. Yeah. Um. So it, things are inc- you know things are totally affordable. We just have to question what our priorities yeah. are. You, we can and and this is this is what I like to say to to whenever I'm talking to, to to young folk. You know, we can do anything you want to do. You know, as a country, we can do anything if it's your top priority. Mm. We can do it. Yeah. Yes, there are trade-offs. Yes, there'll be other things that we can't do as a result, but we can do the really important we stuff. We can decide what is the most important path forward. And yeah, we can, yeah, we can nail it if we want to. So don't believe that things are not affordable or not doable at, yeah. a, at all. Um, but I know you get that rhetoric a yeah, lot. You, know, you, you get hear it spewed that. out all the time. Exactly, so you just exactly. Kind of absorb it. And it's bullshit. It's yeah. just bullshit. Um, <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshitometer. Um, uh, so and and your question was how do we how do we get there? Well, I'm what I like to call an optimistic pessimist. Uh, you know, or, or, or a oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A realist. Like a, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like a. Um, I, I guess you could call a me pragmatic a, optimist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pragmatic optimist. I mean, we're not going to, you know, top is not going to come charging in and win 50% of the vote at the next oh, election. Imagine if you did. Oh, yes. You'd be Prime Minister, Jeff. Things would change <laughs> overnight. But, you know, things don't, things don't happen like that. I totally, I totally get that, you know. Our, our job is to, is to be in there snapping at the heels of the big guys, calling them out when they're, when they're, when they're avoiding the tough calls. Yeah. And if we are there doing that consistently, you know, we're not going to stop, we, we, you know, we, we're not going to completely stop the shit things happening. Yeah. But we are going to start to get us ready for them and we're going to prepare, prepare the ground for more radical change when we start seeing the shit things happen. Yeah. Right? How I see... Just take climate change as an example, okay? I don't think 
we you know despite all the great work that's happening with school strike and extinction rebellion awesome awesome stuff happening around that right i don't think we are going to see anyone doing the real sorts of change that we need to see probably for another 10 years yeah <laughs> yeah quite a while i yeah. think i agree with that i so, don't you so, don't you don't get anyone sorry to, yeah. to interrupt but you don't get anyone on either side of the aisle at my age um who doesn't think that climate action is important right? yeah yeah and that that's in 10 years time when we're the people who yeah. have influence it's yeah. going to be a priority yeah but also in 10 years time i mean so what i'm saying is forget about 1.5 degrees i mean yes everyone you know yes that's what young people are calling for and yes that would be the ideal i don't i don't, don't think, think it's, it's going to happen yeah. i don't think it's going to happen mm. but in 10 years time as you say your generation will starting to be running things and in 10 years time also enough shit will be hitting the fan that older people have to sit up and listen yeah so that when those, the nice coastal properties are getting exactly, <laughs> exactly. The, the the pendulum will really be starting to swing in 10 years time and that's when we've got to have okay we need to do this 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 we need to plan ready let's go okay and if we do that then i am still confident that you know i mean yes there's going to be big problems in places like Bangladesh and Kiribati and, you know, I mean, my heart goes out to to, to those sorts of places, right? I mean, and and we've got to start having a conversation as a nation about how we're going to deal with climate refugees. But I think it's doable in New Zealand. I think we can do it if we, you know, even if we would, it takes 10 years before we really get going, I think we'll still be able to do it. We'll still be able to have a good quality of life and we'll still be, and we'll be able to nail it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that will be, you know, that'll be the work of, of your generation, mostly, you know. Um, but people argue that you're leaving it too late if you leave it to us because then we have even more stuff to deal with. Oh, look, I, and I totally agree with that. And that's that's why, you know, I want to do... You want to mitigate it As now. much as we can. I want to yeah. do as much as yeah. we can over the next 10 years. But the pessimistic optimist in me <laughs> says... You can't do everything. We won't have everything yeah. done before that, before the shit starts hitting the fan, mm-hmm. right? And so, but I, but I think that we will have... we Well, I hope that we will have done enough and we will have enough plans in play to be able to just you know to be able to really take care of the issues in a way that will mean that we can still have a great country yeah i don't have a lot of hope for bangladesh and tokelau Mm. and kudabas you know that that breaks my heart to say it but you know currently the world is on track for 3.3 degrees yeah and that's if we do everything that we've promised to do Mm. You know. yeah, and the thing is, New Zealand is quite small in terms of, you know, the global emissions. And even if we try to do our best to mitigate it, if other countries like America or China don't, you know, mitigate the effects, then yeah, they don't play it, their part. Yeah, then. if they don't play their part, then is it really worth us trying to? Well, isn't that, that that's the, basically the national party yeah, position, know, isn't it? It's like, I know, oh well, my dad will hate me for that. <laughs> we don't we don't matter anyway yeah. because like we yeah. we can't and decrease global emissions so we should just focus on the economy but yeah. it, but in our case yeah. i mean in, in our case i think there is a happy middle ground mm. right yeah. because okay so you take that scenario that we do end up hitting 
three degrees or, or whatever, you know, instead of one and a half or two, large parts of the world will be screwed. Yeah. We cannot rely on the rest of the world for anything. So actually, what should we be doing now? We should be preparing to be a little bit more independent. Making New Zealand a life A little bit of yeah. protectionism there. <laughs> well, but what's the most important thing that you would do to make us independent one of our biggest imports at the moment is fossil fuel. Oh, yes, this is... So actually, sorting out our energy needs is, 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 gonna that, is a win-win regardless. Yeah. 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 Now, and that's why I'm, I'm less focused on agriculture because mm-hmm. actually, you know, agriculture is going to be, um, you know, going to continue to be important to us, I think. I mean, yes, agriculture needs to be needs to be as clean as it can be and 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 there's lots of good things that we could do in that area but focusing on getting agricultural emissions to zero nah but to me fossil fuels zero yeah let's get them down because because what we will replace them with will be a hundred percent kiwi kiwi made you know are are we thinking like sort of people who are committed to this sort of change i'm not that climate literate though you know i'm on on your guys side um is it what wind energy solar energy hydro. wind oh wind hydro is good yeah surely I mean, the winds in wellington could just like energize just, the entire country yeah, yeah pretty much pretty much <laughs> i mean wind, wind is the big opportunity for us um uh hydro solar is not that great in new zealand um <laughs> for for a variety of reasons not so much of the sun but also our greater our, our peak demand is actually um 6 p.m in the middle of winter right now right yeah. Yeah. and you think about all the energy that you're using at six or seven o'clock at night you're cooking you got the heat pump on you're probably having a hot shower you know yeah. after a hard day you know all of those things that's that's our peak that's our peak electricity demand solar's not going to help Solar's useless yeah. Yeah. yeah wind great hydro fantastic the difficulty with hydro of course is the environmental impacts of dams yeah of dams yeah, dams. yeah. yeah. ecology and, of the place yeah, exactly, and uh, I mean, I th- I think there there probably is a, a, a room for for more hydro, um, but you know that's basically our current regulations make it impossible to do more hydro because it's just too hard to get through the planning system. So that's an interesting conversation. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, well, I'm mindful of your time, Jeff, but before you leave, I'd actually like yeah. to tell you a story that you might find oh, awesome. interesting. So two weekends ago, I was at a party. I was at a flat party. And the flat party... It wasn't here. It wasn't here. This place would be a great place for parties, by the way. I don't know when it is. Hey, the address our is... Landlord, our landlord... Um, no, it's fine. Um, no, we're at a flat party, and I'm 99% sure this is what everyone at the party next door said. This was your house, right? So there was a flat party at your house, and oh I was at the God. flat party next oh, door. Oh, that was you guys? Yeah. <laughs> you were messaging me about that. Yeah. And so... And so I had been told before last election that you lived there That's by the guy really who's funny. Yeah, who lives in that flat. Yeah, he's and a good guy. I I forget his name. But Finn. Yeah, Finn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good yeah. guy. Um but yeah, so like I asked someone over the deck. I needed to confirm. I was like, Oh, is it true that Jeff Simmons lives here? And they they're like, Oh yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And a guy in a a guy in a cow outfit comes out. <laughs> a man dressed in a cow outfit comes out and he says, I am fully like joking obviously, but I'm fully uh entitled to speak on behalf of Jeff Simmons uh, the, uh, for the, the policy of the Opportunities Party and then he proceeded to just 
ramble for 20 minutes it was great so i think i thank you for that you you facilitated that experience who was that guy i have no idea uh, i mean well we have a large um I, I basically have a dress it's not a this sounds more grandiose than it is it sounds oh, indulgent but i only have a small house it's 80 square meters it's tiny but I have a spare room, yeah. and it's my dress-up room. So it oh. has all my dress-ups in there. So when we have a party, everyone comes around and puts on things. So I can think of who was wearing uh, the cow thing, but at ver- it was various times in the night. Oh, so the, 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 you, my, there's a rotation of the costumes. Apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my I'm, turn to relay the policy. On methane. The cow is the, is the spiritual leader of the opportunity party. Absolutely. absolutely. I talk about the three sacred seas in New Zealand, cars, cows, and cats. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what is it with cats? Gareth, <laughs> oh, I that's, know about that's this. Gareth. That's Gareth. That's not us. That's, I don't think um, he never like actually said that it was the top policy to get rid no, of cats. No, 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 no. Because like that was really like pe- that's what people's understanding so was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did too. But that was like, that was just his uh, his his personal bandwagon. Yeah. Um, and you know, yes, we do have a feral cat problem in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, you know, that's it's uh, that's the difficult conversation that needs to be had. But the fact is that conversation's happening now, so that's great. Yeah. But yeah, no, that that was um, that was my place, and uh, and yep, you guys should have come over. That would have been great. Oh, you you guys did. You, you did invite you did invite us over, but the I think the party went to town or something like that. Oh, your but, party went to town. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, but you okay. know, I would I would have loved to come and see the costumes and uh, <laughs> at the time meet the man himself. But obviously, I've met you now, and you know, you didn't you didn't underwhelm Jeff. Oh, um, good, good. good. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the podcast, and obviously, thanks Emmy for coming. We'll do another podcast tomorrow. Yeah, yeah we got to get the podcast done when I'm here. Good so, to see you again, Emmy. Nice yeah. to see you. Nice Cheers to, to the listeners. Get some rest.